Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. Hello. In this conversation with my son, Dave Jr., <laughs> we start with a discussion of a model called Community of Practice that emerged when he was back in graduate school and doing some consulting for the Institute for Research and Learning. And here we are many years later. So what we did was we looked at whether it's helpful to have such a model to better understand the nature of practice and conversation. And I think you'll find in listening to this, the answer is, yeah, it seems that's so. We could do almost any other model that's out there, also called theory, and put it in adjacent position to our consideration of practice. And we see more about what practice does when it's being done by individuals and in a community of practice, the difference it can be made. So here is the old team back in action, Dave and Dad. Well, after a bit of a hiatus the last couple of months while I was uh, putting uh, a lot of time into finishing the book that uh, Peter Bale started and and I finished, I haven't done much podcast recording. So I'm eager to get us back into it. Between the last time I recorded one and now Dave and I did a session for a global conference called Evolve 2021, where we took just a few minutes of one of the uh, video recorded uh, video versions of our recording, and we broke it down and looked at it with some points of reference that Dave taught about how social inaction works when you're watching it. <laughs> so that was kind of fun, and uh, and it will make sure it's up on our webpage. The the session was recorded, but let's talk now about living this experience of being in practice. Uh, just before we started, Dave mentioned uh, something quite interesting uh, about being interviewed uh, in relation to his practice uh, at uh, Johns Hopkins University. So tell me a little bit about it, Dave. Well, I thought we might it might be fun to talk about the concept of communities of practice. Hmm. And I'll, I'll say up front that um, I haven't given it any thought right up to this very moment, uh, apart from uh, when it was uh, came up as I, 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 you would know better than I, I would say it, it's, it was a popular, had its popularity, what maybe um, as much as 20 years ago or more. Yeah. Around 20 years ago. Yeah. There was a sort of a, a very interesting movement of people who, focus a lot on uh, natural settings for learning as, as contrasted with school settings for learning and put out the prospect that there's a whole heck of a lot more learning going on uh, than meets the eye. And uh, one of the ways that they saw that learning was manifest uh, by people was something that they entitled communities of practice. So, yeah, that's... It, it is an old idea, but not 
an old phenomenon. I suspect you're going to tell me that it's still going on once you know what to call it. Well, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, that, I thought maybe we would just explore that. And mm. and and you also being more uh, attuned to the literature, would you say that it's as a term that it's A, still used and, and B, still keeps some coherence or is it kind of... Uh, become watered down in, in, in general, because I, I, I say the latter, because when I, when I Googled, um, you know, my extent of research was Googling the term <laughs> a little again right now, communities of practice. Uh, and uh, one comes up with the page, oh, uh, oh, everything you need to know about communities of practice. Um, and uh, which is usually a sign where you are being given a limited, very limited, watered down back background. But um, mm -hmm. uh, you, uh, it, it looked like a fairly vague um, definition. I can't find that one I found before. But here's like here's one just looking at the Google page. Communities of practice are formed by people engaged in a process of collective learning in a shared domain of human endeavor. Um, a way of locating language, uh, organized groups of people have common interests in a specific tech, technical or business domain. Now, that's pretty broad. I guess, I guess they get into a little more detail, but, um, you know, it seems yeah. like it's, it's kind of broadened out. And I was thinking since this is a podcast on practice, it's a term mm -hmm. that's, that's, um, that has practice in it, in the organization and, and business field. So it might be, interesting just to kind of riff riff on what might be a good definition and um and and um i've, I've had a little bit of history um in in past work with groups that back in the late 90s were mm -hmm. were, were doing consulting work around communities of practice um and then i've thought about well, what, what now that i'm actually working in an organization what kind of, am I parts of communities of practice? Um, that is a, so, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, so I guess one way we could start is to look at the um, definition that you sent, which you thought was good. Mm -hmm. Do you want, do you want to give some background on, on what it, what you sent me? Um, well, <laughs> I don't have it in front of me, but uh, oh. <laughs> here's my thought on it. It was a bit of a trip down memory lane uh, when you sent me a note this morning that we might want to talk about it. And one of my thoughts about it is that almost every era uh, of managerial leadership, uh, organization development, organization behavior, the, the, the human uh, study uh, that we've, we've done in academic has certain nicely titled and easily defined uh, phenomenon uh, that are written that way, not for fellow academics or researchers so much as to give people some common ground to discuss something like community of practice. Mm -hmm. uh, and since that was a more of a consulting oriented uh, group that you were part of, uh, they wanted to find a way to get into an organizational setting and look for these more natural uh, natural organizational practices about practice actually 
So I think they, they chose the word practice, which I was happy with uh, looking back now, uh, because that has more to do with, has everything to, to do with doing. And when people are striving to do better, whatever they intend to do that way, they tend to look for other people who can advise, can help, can model. Uh, and, uh, and so they, it always has to start with one or two people. They start looking for people who do similar things. That's that fancy word domain. Uh, it does tend to be not people from all different walks of life and different interests. That's another way of getting together in a natural sort of like a community. But this one help people find almost before Google, certainly before Google, find through almost a word of mouth where other people were who were doing interesting things like what they were doing. So you had communities of practice growing organically back in my experience. We all today we tend to call them networks, uh, alliances. But one of the key things that perhaps we could talk about uh, is that they are voluntary. Um, the soon as they reach a level uh, where they need a, uh, a formal structure and they need um, appointed leaders and so forth, it, it becomes an organization like the Organization Behavior Teaching Society. It's no longer right, right, right. a voluntary thing. And, and, and when it moves to that level, it becomes more difficult, ironically, for people to share things because it becomes this is how you should share and this is and so the, the right right the, the sort of the energy and fun of discovering more people uh around initially where you could reach them locally but eventually nowadays globally the fun of that the spontaneity of that the um requires <laughs> conversation <laughs> yeah yeah so it reminds me of um uh the, the literature on institutionalization, um, mm -hmm. which is a theory of an organization sciences, um, so kind of a sociology, probably from sociology more as, as much as any other field. Uh, and it talks about, I couldn't tell you who the main writers are, but they talk about the process of going from these groups and even, even historically the apprentice yeah systems but then into the societies and into the academic societies into the guilds or mm -hmm. uh, professional societies and that professionalization becomes um yeah that that movement from sounds like that movement from commu community practice to to professionalism um which can still have community practice aspects of them mm -hmm. but in the meantime you're also maybe dealing with the um, you know, professionalized and sometimes regulated parts of it, like, um, right. you know, like professional therapists or even professional nutritionists, you'd have to be yeah. certified in a certain way. But yep. I'd, I'd like to talk about one community of practice around nutrition that, that my wife and I are kind of participants in, in a certain way mm -hmm. um, as, as one of the examples that we might get into tonight. But, yeah. um, but for, so first let me, see i sent i sent you the the link if you want to see it but um so what you had sent around was a definition from um Etienne and beverly wenger trainer from 2015 introduction to communities of practice 
Mm -hmm. um, this looks like a, um, a web page. Oh, yeah, just a web page um, rather than a particular article. But they, they here's uh, the definition. What are communities of practice? Communities of practice are formed by people who engage in a process of collective learning mm -hmm. in a shared domain of human endeavor, a tribe learning to survive, a mm -hmm. band of artists seeking new forms of expression, a group of engineers working on similar problems, a clique of pupils defining their identity in the school, a network of surgeons exploring novel techniques, gathering a first-time managers, helping each other cope. In a nutshell, communities of practice are groups of people who share a concern or a passion for something they do and learn how to do it better as they interact regularly. Yep. So um, that sounds like a, uh, yep. I, 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 don't, I, I don't know if that's the field of defining definition, but it's, it's, it's an interesting one. This was from 2015. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting in regard to our uh, looking at the nature of practice and particularly the nature of conversation as, as practices grow, you need other people. And uh, the way this reads is that once you find some affinity, you're attracted and essentially seeking a bond, uh, which uh, is at the very much uh, eye level, you know, of association. So the uh, now, so the folks have formed these of these groups through the uh, need to really know each other. These days, you can click. Uh, and and ask someone to be a friend on Facebook or on LinkedIn and claim that, you know, 2000 people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, that's not what this is. Right. But the, but the, the other piece of it is community. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's where the volunteerism really uh, sp spikes up that the people um, create a positive interdependency that, um, and, and for what purpose? So that they can be better at what they value doing the most. So mm -hmm. that's, that's a good connection. Yeah. Um, so yeah, again, it's hard to know whether I, if I had done any proper research, I might have seen what found a, a statement from night around the you know, late nineties when it came up, but, um, at that, at in the late nineties, I, I was kind of, uh, involved it with in, in part because I, I got a job uh, contract uh, for about two years, 19 in 1998 with um, uh, a consulting firm called Institute for Research on Learning, which is, which uh, was a, a company that spun off of Xerox park mm -hmm. um, some years before that um, is probably about uh four or five years in when I, when I joined and built around the, I think communities of practice was prominent in their, in their mission statement and in their um, primary kind of pitch to, to funders. I think a lot of their work, the majority of it, you know, when I was there was in education research and, and kind of classroom. Um, and then I, I got in on a project that was doing some uh, workplace um, mm -hmm. consulting. We, we uh, did part of a, a, a pretty big uh, two-year contract with a major insurance company. Mm -hmm. And um, this was in 
looking at mostly, well, actually looking throughout throughout their regions, but um, a couple of regions around the country country um their their headquarters but also um southern california so uh and there at that time the focus was really on on consulting using workplace ethnography which was embedded um, observation and but also more the traditional qualitative um social science methods such as interviews uh, but using a lot of video and uh, I would say that for that particular group, communities of practice didn't really come up as a theme very much. I think possibly because it, it was more about what is workplace culture and yes. what, what is workplace learning, because we were following like new agents mm-hmm. who were apprenticed to existing insurance agents. Um, mm-hmm. And we kind of followed them around and, and also a, um, we followed a rather charismatic woman training, um, doing, doing um, trainings of new agents um, mm-hmm. at their head with their Southern California headquarters. So um, it was uh, so it was more of a standard standard workplace approach, um, but I think it was still it had that learning concept, and it was trying to use ethnography to understand learning. Um, yeah, that was a that was that was a great uh, opportunity for you to see it in the flesh. And and to interject just a moment, uh, while there, you know, that particular regional uh, system was quite well organized and well established in the, all the conventional ways that you would look at it. When they started to look for learning, they still tended to think of it. I'm assuming uh, as more of a training creating more, you know, uh, tools for, for learning. Mm-hmm. But what I'm thinking is that because you were really just watching people and taking notes and thinking about it, you really were also seeing the emergence of maybe micro communities of practice within that region where yes. people uh, just needed to, if they were stuck or if they were excited about something that was going on, they would form through mainly through conversations and naval conversations, they would start forming these um, in uh, sort of not ad hoc systems, but eventually regularized systems where they knew that they could count on each other. Yeah. I think that's, 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 uh, that was happening through the the training system that they had, which was, um, this was a, one of the older big insurance companies, um, Mm -hmm. Uh, and they had with, with a good agent model and traditionally the, the new, the new, they, the, 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 each agent would kind of do their own recruiting of their locals, but it was moving more towards centralized recruiting of new agents, but still the, the pairing of with seasoned, um, agents and the mentoring and, and the continuation of and we can see the communities of practice within agents within regions um they mm-hmm. they seem to have some good community local communities and spontaneous groups and people who got to know each other mm-hmm. um and then and then the mentoring process created more more networks and um and localized community practices and it was an interesting time for that particular company it was right near the the um one of the crashes around 98 
Um, mm-hmm. And and interestingly, I think the our our group of consultants ended up having a difficulty on what to report to the yeah. to their contractors to your funders. Yeah, it's because it's one of those times where I, I think it was at, at the at the brief birth of of uh, um, ethnographic workplace studies as a consulting and his quick death as soon as the markets crashed and and consultants (laughs) no longer had the patience for uh, mostly uh, academic researchers saying what's interesting about the uh, sociological phenomena Mm -hmm. when they really want to say, okay, give me a community practice that will increase our profits by. Yeah. Give me a framework. Give me (laughs) seven rules. I I heard about this community of practice. I want one. (laughs) I want one. Yeah. What will be the, yeah. profit and how class to turn around before we get one. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and so I run sadly in a way as the, they could have just like held back a bit, waited, be more patient. And a lot of these ways that people were commu- conversing and helping each other and, and really pushing from the ground up innovative ideas about anything that mattered to the, to the brass. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and I've been watching these things for, many years and through that time and beyond. And I've often seen uh, something that had a nice uh, possibility to create real innovation from the floor up was grabbed and put into um, a vice. Yeah. Yeah. And then this particular company <laughs> got into banking essentially with all their, oh. their, their assets and yeah, that, that was- entire culture, I believe crashed. It did. Um, and, and now it's, I, I, I haven't really looked into it, but I believe they have an entirely different oh, yeah. way of doing things. And so those communities probably fell they apart. Yeah. So I'm not picking on the brass, yeah. but I, but I am saying that, that uh, what's so important to you and me in, in the, in this notion looking at, at practice is that practice is human born <laughs> mm-hmm. i mean in the year of covid that may be a little crude to say but you know each person brings uh, the potential to create a practice uh, commitment uh, of their own personal resources to a, a kind of work like mm-hmm. you mentioned uh like your work and uh and that's pretty delicate mm-hmm. uh, if you're if you're feeling the the love of, of having nice, easygoing, helping each other out kind of climate and discovering people who have cool ideas and saying, Hey, can we talk about that? Can I borrow that idea? All of that is growthful and very much in line with the kind of learning that Peter and I uh, focused on in, in our, in our, in our conversations. Uh, so where we are now is we never needed that more. <laughs> Because people have been broken away from, you know, being in the same room kind of life, life's work style. Yeah. And a lot of things are happening, which is very evident. Uh, but mm-hmm. I'm curious because when you told me that you thought this would be an interesting aspect to look at, you said that someone actually reached out to you. And in the course of having a conversation with you said, what about the community of practice? Yeah, because I, um, this was a, a, a student who's working on her um uh, i think it's her master's degree in library science at um, florida state university her name is a 
I'm gonna mess up her name is is Nayun Han. Because um, I'll probably send her the link <laughs> since yeah. give her credit for for thinking of um, uh, this the field that I kind of fell into, which is um, research, particular research support done by academic libraries and around research data in particular, um, and that um, not only this this was I got in right at the beginning of a very emerging field, but it was mm-hmm. certainly a field where there was an emerging community of practice, mm-hmm. um, which I could talk about in, in general how it's built up over the last 10 years. But um, over the last um, a few years, my my uh, library's been part of something called the Data Curation Network, which is um, a slightly more formalized community of practice, but I, we could think about whether it kind of fits the community of practice model, yeah. which is what the student was um, thought as well and was, you know, as part of the interview that we had. So, so um, just so the quick background um, after my wife and I finished our degrees in sociology and didn't want to be professors and wandered aimlessly uh, in expensive Southern California, not realizing <laughs> that we had no future there. Uh, Is that when I kept clutching my heart yeah, the phone um, and saying, what? <laughs> yeah, my yeah. wife had the brilliant idea to, to, to go back and get library de- degrees. Um, yeah. And um, because um, I, well, a couple of reasons I won't go into, but, but in a way the, the libraries, um, once we got into it, the academic libraries were a very interesting place for uh, PhDs with aimless, aimlessly wandering PhDs. Yeah, but who have a lot of curiosity. Who want to keep that attachment to the academics and the academic lifestyle without being a professor or mm-hmm. um, and, and not quite, you know, being able to be researchers or other ways of, of staying in the field. So, mm-hmm. um so when I got in, I was interested in kind of the as a background as a database developer, and mm-hmm. and had done that as as the prior job before we went back to school, and um, was looking more broadly at uh, other aspects of of you know kind of digital library support. But mm-hmm. then when I got in um, the at at UCLA um, MLIS program. Uh, one of the professors was um, Christine Borgman was mm-hmm. um, her, her field of study was looking at research um, data uh, uh, management and support for, for libraries. And, and she had funding for some interesting research. And since I had a research background, she, she snatched me up and, mm-hmm. and helped fund that degree on research assistance mm-hmm. um, jobs, which was, which was nice. So, but it, and it also prepared me for my current job. So, and right around that time, um, uh, the uh, federal funders, National Science Foundation and others had a new requirement for um, data management plans as part of grant proposals and also data sharing, which meant that researchers would need to share their data online publicly. So publicly funded data should be shared publicly Mm-hmm. as much as possible um, 
and done the best way to be do it online through through online databases or data repositories. And so right around the time I was done with my degree, libraries were starting to develop this area of research support because and it fit libraries fairly well because it was it didn't really fall into any one department or 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 particular school uh and, and for johns hopkins which has um a, 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 a culture of a number of schools um which are in in some ways are all islands especially school of medicine but also mm-hmm. the arts and sciences and engineering but all of them very very heavily grant dependent um therefore and, data <laughs> yeah so they so the compliance it, really means you have to start spinning up organizations to, to support yeah. new rules, um, the libraries were able to step in. So, so I got in at basically this new, this new yeah. area of uh, research support for libraries doing um, uh, consulting on how to plan for data management and data sharing in particular. Um, mm-hmm. And then we also operated an online data repository for publishing data online um, mm-hmm. and, and um, you know, it's kind of expanded from there, but, you know, at the same time, so our, you know, this is obviously a major uh, research university and, and, and many of the other larger research universities started up similar roles for quite a while. Um, and as, and, and, you know, in the library world uh, is academic libraries usually do things on, on scraps. So, so for many, even large universities would be one librarian doing, you know, in addition to other duties, doing this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so ours was one of the biggest where we actually got funding for for um, three people fairly fairly early in, mm-hmm. um, and now I have three and a half, and kind of merged it with other mm-hmm. um, similar roles of data support. Um, so the where the communities of practice though come in is how do you actually do this? How do you how do you actually help people plan for data management planning? How do you help people archive? You know, it's, a, it's different than other yeah. digital, yeah. like, you know, this, this is a field of how do you, how do you digitize documents and mm-hmm. put them online? This is different. This is research data. Yeah. And we're taking in data from literally all the sciences mm-hmm. <laughs> and medicine. Yeah. Um, so you, we kind of have to, and, and to some extent, it's just files. But on uh, on another level, you ha- it's good to know a little bit about what it is that's coming in. So yeah, yeah. even how to open a file, something from astronomy, it's like, well, yeah. what what is this? It's a dot. <laughs> what is, you know, what are these formats? It's a thousand it's, tetrabats or whatever they are. <laughs> yeah, and different formats and different programs needed to open them. And mm-hmm. and um, so if you actually want to do what's called data curation, where the mm-hmm. you're not just taking a file and putting it online, like, like a YouTube video, you are um, helping them document it so that other people can use that information, right. um, even slightly out people outside their field, potentially. And yeah. that takes an interaction with the researchers and knowing something about the research. So, yeah. So over time, there was a community of, of kind of informal communities of library, li- librarians with people with similar roles like myself meeting at the different conferences yeah, I remember and, that. Yeah. yeah and, and kind of sharing ideas and then on you know online it's easier to 
kind of share resources. Um, yeah. yeah. But uh, and that's and, and then um, some special, more specialized conferences would would um, come up over time. Like one in the U.S. was oh, now I'm going to get the name wrong. It's not Research Data Alliance, but something called RDAP, um, where it was more focused. It's kind of a, a, a librarian-run conference, which is emerging slowly into uh, um, not a professional organization, but a somewhat more professionalized conference that then starts to merge into yeah. or the professional library and associations, they start looking out, oh, do you want to merge or, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's yeah. conference discussions about staying independent versus merging with larger ones. And yeah. so, so there's, you know, so most, mostly, uh, and there's a few academic journals that kind of focus on that. So it's, but it's still, I would say as a field, one that is, it is a community of practice of practitioners. Yes. Not at the point where it's professionalized. Yes. Not yes. At the point where it's its own society um, mm -hmm. beyond being branches of conferences. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, you can, you know, find, find interest groups within some of the larger library associations. Yeah. But well, I, uh, I, I got to, that is in, in a very nice, in interesting way, uh, a microcosm of why every community practice of any sort ever happened in the first place. Yeah, and and, it, and I think my conjecture is that uh, before people knew what to do pretty well, they can do it pretty much within their own orbit. But as soon as the environment threw in uh, a, a new opportunity or a new uh, restriction in a way through regulation mm -hmm. a but b as as all of the engineered sciences move out as now has happened with technology and, and data in particular uh almost everyone is re, is rendered a, a beginner this is one of peter's mm -hmm. peter's great thoughts that we because change now puts us in a position that no matter what our credential said and our, mm -hmm. uh, you know, our title and all the rest, suddenly we don't know enough to meet the demand uh, as practitioners. Mm -hmm. And here's the key. You guys had to do it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that you were going to take some notes and sit down in a classroom and teach about it, even though mm -hmm. you've done a lot of training. Mm -hmm. You have to do it. Mm -hmm. And and see that's and so that raises the stakes in in the sense on how am I going to be successful unless I can get some other people to figure it out and and through through proper conversation uh, activity we're not going to get into a position where we're competing mm -hmm. you know well if I tell you that you're going to steal it and take it somewhere it's yeah kind of, it's very uh, which the library world is very good at it's not it's not there's very few things that are that are competitive or need to be proprietary because it isn't it's it's um they they save some of these things they are they're of no value because yeah you're not going to sell them very easily yeah so it's information that might as well be shared in fact that is the ethos of libraries from you know the first centuries that they were opened it is we're here to collect things that we can get people to use and so right. you were in the right environment and frankly uh given your your scenario roughly 10 or so years ago when you were at ucla it you you were really we're on the ground floor and um your professor uh was 
giving talks uh, and being asked uh, quite a bit, as I recall, about this new idea of curating data. Mm -hmm. And they were, you were right there. So, yeah. Yeah. Ray. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, 10 years later, I still have a job. So that's, yeah, nice. you do. And it's not, and it's a job where you're still um, learning uh, mm -hmm. as you're adding. And here's someone from down in Florida, reaching, finding your name and reaching out and wanting to gain, gain a bit of insight into your expertise. Yeah. What will that do for her? It will maybe bring her closer into this part of library work library uh in action yeah. and you've helped her and then she could say hey i met this really on the phone i interviewed well, this really cool I mean, guy. it's not it wasn't just about me she's she's looking into this new thing i'll say briefly uh, which is also i would say another community of practice um that that developed out of these people meeting regularly at conferences there you go um i i uh, they thought up of a new way to share to basically write for a grant to start an organization around sharing this data curation knowledge, this specialization where we have people from who get into this field, even without any library degrees, they'll have PhDs in different sciences, have different right. backgrounds. So the idea was to have a network amongst, you know, the initial grant participants, which is about, uh, I think six schools, mm -hmm. um, mostly the major universities in this point, part and that's grown a little bit. It's called the Data Curation Network. If you look mm -hmm. at the datacurationnetwork.org and uh, they got a grant from Sloan Institute um, mm -hmm. and then another from um, ILMLS, which is a, 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 a specific library funder who did a kind of an education side of things. I was involved in both. So basically the idea is a network of librarians who, who will take data sets from um, other 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 schools within the networks where the people working there don't know really how to curate it. They don't have the background in that field of science. They don't know those file formats. So, so other people in the network have that skill. So I have a lot of background in human subject data and privacy. So I'll yep. get I'll get those data sets to kind of screen for risk. Mm -hmm. um and i we would send sums and other fields to different schools and and so it became so that was set up as a community of practice around not just um sharing expertise but then we through this um education grant we did trainings in data curation general data curation around the particular model and also um had participants in these trainings develop what they call primers on different topics, like different formats, different, uh, and, and make them um, public documents for how to how to curate data that comes from astronomy or or uses programs, that some so engineering cool. programs like like MATLAB or um, yeah. human subjects data, um, yeah. and so using the community to practice to develop some learning resources. So I think it really captures a lot of, a lot of that definition. It does. And I want to, I want to throw one more, uh, uh, layer into this as it, as I was listening to you, when they were developing the, the manuals, when they're developing the models and so forth, the people who are doing the practice, they're doing it to help other people get it faster than if they, you know, just threw something at the wall. So mm -hmm. my point is that, this is, in my mind, an awful lot of what eventually becomes theory mm -hmm. arises from 
a community of practice. Mm-hmm. It's not some great mind sitting up uh, on high uh, who can visualize all of this and then have it turned into some kind of instruction. It's mm-hmm. coming from the, from the ground up yeah, from because the you are, it is. And because you are uh, professionals, uh, it has credence mm-hmm. and and now someday and maybe it's already happened i know uh professor borgman was picking up on that and then writing it up in such a way that it then met the attention of people studying library science so right but, but that is emergent and, and yeah I, I would suspect if someone could develop a lifetime dave to finding these uh, experiences that you've gone through where something just came off the ground around the time that you were available. Mm-hmm. And, and you could probably find that in, in so many ways that eventually are claimed to be, um, you know, theory. Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but really we're, we're looking at practice. Um, you are, but then you could then, if you if something arises that sounds like that, putting the additional research work into it, the scholarly work into any one of these models, sure, uh, sure, which which you've been doing in order to create the training that you're doing for particularly for graduate students and professors, right. that it's got a lot of thought in it, and and eventually it could meet the test of being something that's uh, formally recognized as. David Furon's theory of <laughs> well, it wouldn't be mine. It would be, uh, <laughs> I know it wouldn't be, be this groups. Like, That's where the whole thing falls apart because it, it, you get all these people doing these neat things with support, yeah. external support. But as soon as one person kind of pops up and says, Hey, I want to be the king of this. <laughs> it's, the voluntary spirit sometimes gets drained off. Well, luckily we're all too busy and there's no way to, to make it a full-time job very easily now what because one organizational thing that's now um uh needing to happen is the grant funding's done and so they've Mm. now transitioned into a what's what makes it sustainable so this next year will be the first year of a i think it's the first year of of a membership model where where you know we we set up fees for the participating members Mm -hmm. um but it needs to be kind of worked out of how much of our actual time are we putting out versus getting in and, and we can start counting beans and, and mm-hmm. <laughs> it becomes a rather fragile system potentially. Um, yeah, it does. Yeah. But then there's still an attitude, well, whatever kind of keeps the network going because it's kind of fun to still know people in, in the network and, mm-hmm. and have our old hands meetings and, and mm-hmm. um, you know, so keep keeping the, keeping the community going, but still needing to, to kind of have it pay for itself. That's um, a, that's a, now the classic problem mm-hmm. when, uh, Peter Vale, uh, Alan Cohen, David Bradford and John Miller and some others who were professors uh, very early in their careers. And one, one of the first group that was actually teaching something called organization behavior, mm-hmm. they found, uh, that they needed some uh, some mutual support. So they created something which they called a society, Organization Behavior Teaching Society. Mm-hmm. But having its 50th anniversary next year. Mm-hmm. So I was, I've been uh, one way or another involved in that for my whole career. But the, it's, all, and I've been on the board a couple of times and it always gets to that point where you start looking at how much personal time you're volunteering for these leadership positions and hosting 
programs like you've done versus what your institution is gaining from it beyond even what you're gaining from it is pretty mm -hmm. it was you've been on those conferences with us you and linda and you know that it's, it's very it's enjoyable and expansive and and you really form friendships that you can now you know like i've right. had a number of those people in the podcast yeah. so it's it's uh it really is a, a very important aspect of people trying to understand themselves as practitioners to recognize that even though the term community of practice was sketched out over 25 years ago mm -hmm. to get people to understand something is different here uh, it's still at work and we could name it anything we want but if you did did not have this dave when you were breaking into this field too, mm -hmm. an, an emergent field, and you, let me ask you, how would it feel if you really couldn't find anyone at any other university who was yeah. doing the work? Yeah, yet, you, yet you were there. You had to do the work. That was your job. Yeah, had, had other schools not done this, had there not been like maybe the 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 funding mandate, which would have fizzled. Which could certainly have happened with some administration comes in and, and there's no longer a data sharing mandate. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it did kind of slacken in a way. And we had to figure out more things to do, mm -hmm. you know, more trainings and more areas of support, which is a good thing. So, yes, it is. Um, but um, yeah, so yeah, so it's a, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting, but, uh, but I think now that these communities, it's now an established part of, of the library world, it's going to, it's going to keep going. Um, so, yeah. And, and it's, um, and another thing I was thinking of as you were talking is that it, it, with these societies, you get academic credit as a faculty, you know, a faculty member, you, it's part a little bit, a little bit, a little, service. Bit, little bit of service, a little bit of, uh, um, credit for doing presentations, not as much as publications, right. now, the library world, you actually, you have some schools that have faculty librarians mm -hmm. and schools like ours that don't. So we don't have service credit. And if I take the time, which I never have to write an article, I don't get any particular credit for that, mm -hmm. except for, you know, maybe my annual review, I get to say. Mm -hmm. I've done something, but, um, mm -hmm. but other, but other participants may actually be getting more credit for <laughs> being yeah. more involved. So it's, it's yeah. interesting balance there in the, in the library world as, as far as the, the different structures that can be done that you don't always get with just faculty led, um, yeah. you know, societies. So, so that brings up the whole range of questions about rewards, mm -hmm. uh, for, uh, to the degree of which you can, uh, participate in these evolving, um, communities of practice um it's almost always that that little core group like i mentioned who get mm -hmm. things started um had some institutional support to do it and maybe yeah. they met at a you know at a restaurant once to kick out around the idea but then right. if they were going to become more more formally involved uh they they had some trade-offs yeah there, but they well, also had, had, had to have the grant to get it going or else it wouldn't have happened there was something yeah. like that yeah, yeah. but it, it's, i think we got to watch the time but i think what's happened though is that as long as uh, individuals and groups of individuals find real satisfaction in gaining this identity as being the first to know mm -hmm. in a particular arena mm -hmm. uh and you are still in the first to know category. And the other piece is first to know something that's going to have a very long future, <laughs> you know, because 
all the things that have changed. You used to write databases with mm-hmm. a piece of off-the-shelf software, remember? For yeah. a huge astronomy uh, undertaking, all these big uh, telescopes. Now, that wasn't that long ago, but that right. was close to state of the art, and you were doing that for major university. And, and so here we are today, and what I mean by the long future is that uh, – Many things within the library world, like books, for example, that mm-hmm. have covers and they have to be put on shelves, are going away and being right. replaced digitally. So you're yep. you're moving into the digital world, yeah, with a real clear purpose, but also a lot of stimulation. Right, right, yeah, and it's uh, yeah. So it is an interesting for libraries in themselves having to change within the academic world. Yeah. Um, this certainly was an example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'll leave. Uh, I'll leave for the audience one more example of a community of practice that that um, I would invite listeners to look into on their own. If uh, this being uh, near just ahead of New Year's, it'll probably be released afterwards. But if if you're thinking about New Year's resolutions and the diet. Um, you may find interesting uh, and ask yourself, is this community of practice around the whole food plant-based diets? And this is something my wife and I have been struggling to keep up with for years and actually put into practice. Yeah. And it's one of the hardest things that can be done because you'll realize if you've if you've escaped being an alcoholic or a drug addict, <laughs> where do you find out how much of a food addict you are when you need to give up? If you were trying to give up uh, high fat, salt, uh, oil and sugars and most processed food and eat whole foods and plants and no meat and no dairy. <laughs> That's a change, man. Um, that's that, a change. And, and there's a is, tremendous emphasis on, out there in the world trying to make you buy the next. Everything in the world, <laughs> as soon as you step out the door, turn on the TV, is telling you this is wrong. But this, but the nutritional science is more and more showing that this is the way to yeah. to, to live a healthy life. Yeah. Um, but the interesting part, just to, to leave on community practice, is it is a, it is a, a, a community practice where online is, I think, really helped. Because if you did get into it, um, you know, the couple of key names are, are um, uh, uh, Dr. McDougall, um, uh, Dr. Doug Lyle, uh, uh, um, uh, Chef AJ, if you, if you yeah. go to YouTube, Chef AJ, just Chef and an AJ, yes. you'll see her YouTube channel um, and you'll quickly get into a massive community of practice around this type of um lifestyle really and yeah. and and increasingly the it's it's kind of i think it's starting to hone in around what is a food food addiction mm-hmm. um especially as uh under covid like mm-hmm. my wife and i we gained our covid 19 pounds and just <laughs> yeah went not seeding out even though it's you know that's apparently but that didn't stop us and and i think uh yeah we and we we talked to a health coach who who uh has lots of clients who for years were just did wonderfully and then you know these last two years just lost Crash it and burn yeah into their bad food uh, binges like so that. i so, see the so, need for mutual 
reinforcement and support. Yeah. And they need to, there's a tremendous amount of uh, dialogue around what. Yeah. And it's learning, a massive learning. Huge. Um, huge and yeah. and, and um, who do you listen to and who's a quack and all that all yeah. has to be sorted out. Yeah. So it's a very, it's just an interesting one. So, so anyone who's interested in improving their diet just a little bit may, may run into this uh, um, new community and, and hopefully. Uh, yeah. At take least part. lose a little weight. <laughs> take part and and discover, uh, because each person who is trying to overcome that has to figure out some life changes, some ways, and, and that they can turn into ideas that they can share. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that's a great closing point, Dave, uh, because uh, it there's, there's no one in listening who is going to stop listening now and not eat <laughs> for the next twenty hours. That's right. They're going to eat something. <laughs> and they're going to remember something that we've all experienced through this phase of COVID, which is, you know, we're home a lot and there's this refrigerator. <laughs> right. <laughs> or we're excited to get out now because we can get into some places. And yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. The work that Peter kind of drew me into first 50 years ago, but lately when, you know, we were collaborating to try to get the book done. Uh, and we need the podcast to give a chance to, for Peter to use his thought out loud because he could no longer sit at his keyboard very long. And the point is that he he came up with something very early in, in his manuscript and in our, called the big P. Practice mm -hmm. not just librarians who are data conservatives, but the big P is everyone, one way or another, can choose to become more committed, this is, I think, the right word, to, to change uh, initially for themselves and then find a group of people who can reinforce and support that. And then together, uh, life can be better before mm -hmm. you leave the world. And uh, so this is, we're right at the point where I, not only do people have to eat, but they also have to figure out ways to make really good use of their lives yeah oh, wow. and, and get healthier since the world has now changed yeah. focused on one particular disease and yet the uh, heart disease is killing many more yeah. people than covid oh, so don't mention that to an old man like me but you're yeah right. <laughs> but anyway i i, I yep. this has been fun and uh thank you again and once i learned the last few steps of how to do uh, my own podcast production all the way through uh, this will be featured so thanks a lot if you'd like to hear more listen in on spotify automatic and apple podcasts or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcast dash page and if you'd like to learn more about social inaction in the nature of practice head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon.